Max's Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, the business world's Houdini speaks and a startup's plan to prevent mass shootings. But first, blood and oil. So last night, as you've certainly heard by now, Iran fired over a dozen ballistic missiles at a military base in Iraq that houses both Iraqi and American troops. This was in response to last week's U.S. drone killing of a top Iranian general and, depending on who you speak with, either represents an escalating situation that will lead to war or maybe a de-escalation because Iran's missiles didn't actually kill anyone, according to preliminary reports from Western media, and it's possible the missiles were fired for the primary purpose of saving face at home rather than causing death and destruction. Either way, conventional wisdom in the U.S. usually is that military tensions in the Mideast, particularly with Iran, will lead to higher oil prices and, in turn, higher gas prices. And obviously that is bad news for American consumers at the pump and even in other areas because higher energy costs for manufacturers can get passed on to consumers down the line. But the reality today is that gas prices have remained low throughout this conflict and even stuff that happened last year. And many experts expect it to continue, even if the situation with Iran does escalate. Why? Because America's booming domestic oil production has created a massive cushion. We're not really energy independent as we still import lots of oil, but we are closer than ever before, meaning that the old rhetoric about wars for oil may no longer be as operative. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios Energy reporter Amy Harder. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios Energy reporter Amy Harder. Let's start with this. Gas prices have really been pretty stable for a while now, right, in the U.S.? Right. I would say since about 2016, oil prices and also therefore gasoline prices have been reliably under $3 for a national average gallon of gasoline. And that's largely due to global oil prices being reliably under about $70 a barrel. When we're paying at the pump and we see that price tag, how much of that is indeed tied to global oil prices? It is more than 50%. So the U.S. Energy Information Administration puts it anywhere between 60 and 56%. So it is, by and large, the largest share. Now, places like California, you see higher prices due partly to local taxes and things like that. But crude oil prices on a global market are the primary influencer for gasoline prices. You suggested in your story this morning that a lot of this is because of America's oil boom. So we produce now kind of twice as much oil as we did even a decade ago. Is this primarily due to fracking technologies, or is it some other sort of regulatory or federal change? No, it is primarily due to two extraction technologies, actually. Hydraulic fracturing, as you mentioned, and also horizontal drilling, which enables companies to access a lot of oil underground while only penetrating one part of the surface. So it's less intrusive than it would be to drill a bunch of holes. Now, I want to be careful to say that fracking, of course, is a very controversial technology and nonetheless is disruptive to people who are living near these sites. So there's definitely an environmental and, of course, big climate change impacts. But these two technologies together have really unlocked 
so much oil and natural gas around the country, particularly in Texas and North Dakota. Have we created a, a different sort of dependency issue? In other words, you know, we, we've talked, you know, for the last, whatever, 50 years about how we are dependent as a country on Mideast oil. That might be changing and diminishing, but are we now dependent on fracking? In other words, if there becomes some consensus on the environmental or, or human risks from fracking, or say you get somebody like Elizabeth Warren as president who has vowed to end fracking immediately as her first executive order, can we even do that anymore? Or are we as a country economically now dependent on this technology? Well, that's a great point because our economy, the U.S. economy, has a lot more benefits from oil production than it did in the past. So, say, a decade ago when oil prices rose significantly, it was a net loss for the U.S. economy because the way the economy used oil was through consumers mainly. But now, in fact, there's this strange upside to high oil prices, and that high oil prices could actually help the United States because it would encourage more production in places like the Permian Basin in Texas. So I think where things a decade ago were very clear-cut, you have things cutting crosswise now. You have oil producers in the Permian right now are probably some of them privately hoping for more attention so prices could go up. Yet, you know, the regular drivers on the street across America are thrilled and probably not paying attention to the crisis in the Middle East as much as they perhaps would have been if they would have seen an impact at the gasoline pump. It does have a political impact in the sense of historically, the last thing or one of the last things a president running for reelection would want would be rising gas prices going into the reelection. And gas prices typically do rise a little bit in the summertime months, but you really wouldn't want to see a big spike. It was obviously a huge you know, problem for Jimmy Carter and for others. But in this case, if gas prices are going to remain low, almost if not no matter, but but even if tensions keep rising, even if we say go to war with Iran, Trump doesn't have that same kind of check on him, that electoral check on him that he would have had, you know, 20 years ago. Right. I do think that the fact that oil and therefore gasoline prices have been reliably low for the last few years gives Trump political room to be more aggressive in his policies in the Middle East than prior administrations. I've talked to former Obama administration officials who have said that as much, that they were not able to do some of the things they wanted to do during the Obama years that Trump is now able to do. And Trump hasn't really done anything to unleash this oil and gas boom. He's not hindering it anymore. Anyway, of course, but Obama didn't really either. And so this is mostly a private sector innovation story. I'll take your point on Obama and, and Trump not really doing anything to unleash this, even though they both certainly took credit for it. Final question for you, Amy. Despite what we've been saying kind of about this U.S. cushion, there are certain things Iran could do, right, that actually would have a tangible impact on pumps here at home. Like, for example, if they close the Strait of Hormuz. There are a lot of energy experts on TV and elsewhere talking, cautioning, oh, the U.S. is not energy independent. We still have to be cautious. And that's definitely true. And to their point, I think an all-out constant war with Iran where oil facilities in that region are being constantly targeted and collateral damage or the targeted damage. What if Iran closed the Strait of Hormuz? What would that do to gas prices here? Would that be the tipping point thing they could do? Right. That's the other point I was going to make is, yes, so the Strait of Hormuz is the body of water bordering Iran in the Middle East, and that flows about a fifth of the oil every day in the world. And so it's it's essential if they would do that. But I think one point that the experts I talked to make is that that would actually hurt Iran, too, if they did that, because they have partners in China. And so hurting oil facilities in that region could hurt Iran, too. So that's one reason why experts I talked to don't see that as being the primary focus of Iran. Iran right now. And so that's why the market is not freaking out and prices aren't going through the roof. Amy Harder, Axios Energy Reporter. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. My final two right after this. 
Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to DC. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Carlos Ghosn, the former Nissan chairman who was arrested by Japanese authorities in 2018 for alleged financial impropriety. Just last month, Ghosn escaped from Japan to his native Lebanon via a daring plan that involved stuffing himself into a box with air holes on the bottom, which was then smuggled via private jet. Now, we were actually going to focus today's episode on Ghosn because he was doing a press conference at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, his first public comment since the arrest. But then, as of 10 a.m., he was still going, and we had the tape. Now, as my colleague Felix Salmon wrote me, it was the sort of press conference you might expect from someone who's been publicly muzzled for 14 months, uh, particularly a former master of the universe who feels robbed of his life. So we will go through all of Gone's comments, both prepared and unprepared, and fill you in tomorrow. But today, finally, a Massachusetts startup called Evolve Technology has announced that it's raised $30 million from a group of venture capitalists, plus Bill Gates and Jeb Bush. Evolve is basically the country's second largest screener of weapons after the TSA. But this isn't just the maker of regular one-person-at-a-time metal detectors or wands. No, Evolve systems screen large groups of people simultaneously at places like Lincoln Center in New York City and a group of schools in South Carolina. Now, obviously, no system is foolproof, but this might be a real way to increase safety and security in our maddening age of mass shootings without forcing us to sacrifice convenience, particularly at large events, things maybe like marathon routes or outdoor concerts, which otherwise would be almost impossible to screen for weapons. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national bobblehead day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.